Welcome to Page One or Bust, your ultimate guide to getting on page one of search engines. Today's episode is all about rebranding. That's why we're talking to Sharman Kent, manager and content strategy lead at Studio Science, where she works with companies to uncover, craft, and refine their narrative strengths. We'll dive into the crucial question every marketer needs to answer before embarking on their rebranding journey. And we'll share some tips on how to conduct research to find the right voice for your brand. Plus, we'll explore the metrics that matter most when measuring the success of your rebranding efforts. But first, a word from our sponsor. Page One or Bust is brought to you by Demand Jump. Get insights, drive outcomes with Demand Jump. Get started creating content that ranks for free at demandjump.com today. And now here are your co-hosts, Drew Detzler and Ryan Brock. Welcome to Page One or Bust. This is Drew Detzler. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Brock. Ryan? Yo, how's it going? Great today, because we are joined by Sharman Kent, the content strategy lead at Studio Science. Sharman, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Sharman. I feel like every time we talk, it's it's very enlightening. And I, I walk away with a lot of new thoughts in my old melon. So I'm excited for that experience here with you today. Oh, I, I admire your melon. And thank you. It's always an adventure to chat with you. Oh, Ryan's melon. We talk a lot about Ryan's M- melon. Melon admiration. Yeah. Add that to your... <laughs> who's got that on their bingo chart for today's episode? <laughs> Mutual melon admiration. Yeah. I'm here for it. I love it. So Sharman, you and Ryan know each other. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience here a little bit about your role in studio science? Sure. So starting off, how Ryan and I know each other is way back in the day when SEO was fresh and new. We were both in the the foundational stages of SEO. Ryan was running Metonymy and I was just getting introduced to SEO. So my job at Studio Science is leading content strategy. And at Studio Science, what that means is I work with clients of all sizes and industries and I help them do everything words and word adjacent. So messaging, positioning, website content and strategy. Sometimes we even do marketing, digital marketing campaigns for some of our larger clients. And because I work for a design consultancy, I work really closely with our design practice teams to integrate that word, that content strategy into design strategy. I've been in content marketing and strategy for I think about 15 years now. And it wasn't really until I started with Studio Science that I began to understand just how integral visual design is to content strategy. So I've been in the game for a minute, but I'm always learning something new, particularly in this particular role. Interesting. Do you ever use the phrase content design or think about that in context of your job? You know, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought of the concept of content design until I started at Studio Science. I mean, I hesitate to say that I was classically trained, but I'm a liberal arts major. I was an English major. I've done nothing but words. So I didn't really think of it as a design, if that makes any sense. I certainly do now. I certainly see the intersection of the visual and the written word now in a way that I hadn't in my career before. I've run into the concept a few times and seen people I respect and appreciate on LinkedIn or whatnot talking about content is design, content design. And I'm like, you know, like that's something that like I I completely agree with, but I don't think I understand fully yet. And I don't know how I can say that without sounding like a moron, but it's (laughs) 
like, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's hard for my mind to like wrap around it. Cause I don't, I don't live in like the advertising world or where I think like, yeah. you know, the more poetic side of copywriting versus the long form side that I'm used to in the SEO world. But it's an interesting right. concept thinking about your words as shaping that experience. And especially when you think about something like UX, you're using words and images to guide someone toward an end result, a desired result, whether that's putting something into a cart or reading from top to bottom, getting them past that fold, getting them below the fold. Words have a lot to do with drawing someone in, keeping them on a page, keeping them engaged. That's design, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think it's like, it's the, I'm thinking back to our early days in SEO and like how far we've come since then. And like that thinking was not happening in 2011 or 2012 when it comes to content. It was like content assembly, not content design, right? It was like just cram stuff together and get eyes (laughs) on it. And actually sometimes we don't even care if there's eyes on it. We care if there's robots crawling it. But like, you know, it's just such a shift from how we used to think about it. And it's refreshing. But I think you hit the nail on the head. Like we thought about SEO. I know I certainly did when I first got started as what are the bots going to do? So we weren't at all thinking about actual living, breathing, thinking, emotional humans. A lot of the time, even now, even though I'm not very involved with SEO, there's this idea that we're writing to a machine. That's one of the things we say at Studio Science is we design with people and you have to write for and with people. That's what words are about. Love that. I love that. I can just get out of the way and let you guys talk all day. (laughs) I remember this from... From um, the webinar we did, it's very easy to just get out of the way and let you guys do your thing, which is great. Well, that brings us to today's topic and what I'm interested uh, to pick Charmin's brain about. And that is reintroducing yourself to your target audience and rebranding. In my mind, there's nothing more terrifying than a rebrand. You are correct. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) There are a few things more terrifying than a rebrand. And I've either led or been a part of rebrands pretty much throughout my career. Andrew, again, you're correct. It is scary AF. And and why is that? What are we afraid of? For me, it's the unknown. It's change. I mean, regardless of whether it's just a brand refresh or you're completely changing your name and your Mm -hmm. brand identity or you're introducing a new product or a new product line, that's change. Mm -hmm. You're taking something that you've been comfortable with, that you're very familiar with, that you've lived in for a really long time. And you're saying, no, I don't need that anymore. And more importantly, I don't think the people that I'm talking to need it or want it anymore. So there's a lot of uncertainty, right? Like, are you doing the right thing? Why are you doing this? One of the things I always ask as a marketer and a writer and a content strategist is, who's asking for this? Mm -hmm. Is anybody really asking for this change? Or have you clearly identified a need for a change because if you haven't, then you're spending a lot of time and resources on something that's not going to get you a return. So it's <laughs> it's change. And then it's the fear of the unknown. Are people actually going to like this? If they actually are asking for it, 
Are they going to like what they get? Ryan, I, I have a feeling you have feelings on this. I wish that like marketers would ask the question, who's asking for this about literally everything they do. That's yes. all. That's I'm just like, I'm hearing you say this and I'm like, we write a lot of content that nobody's asking for people. You know, they, they throw events. Nobody wants to go to, they send emails. Nobody wants to read. They put together videos and ads and all sorts of stuff. No one cares about. It's just interesting how like your perspective can change. If you just take a step back and be like, who is this for? Who wants this? Yes. And if you can't answer that well, then don't do it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's kind of where I've lived in my career. Now, my actions and my roles haven't always given me the autonomy to be able to say, hey, mm. maybe somebody's not asking for this. Uh, yeah, because it's not a thing you say like in any boardroom, especially if you're not comfortable with people. You just go like, I'm sorry, who asked you? Like, that's just not the way you build bridges, uh, probably. And sometimes it's more than who's asking for this. It's actually being proactive and seeing what's happening in an industry with a brand, with a customer base, with a target audience. What are they doing? Who do they respond to most favorably, right? Like who are your favorite brands and why are they your favorite brands? What are your favorite products and why are they your favorite products? As a strategist, I think it's my job to proactively look for those answers and then use those answers kind of like Jeopardy-like to come up with questions that I can then present to a target audience or to an industry and say, hey, I've noticed that you're doing this thing and here is a potential way to make your life easier or to make your day easier. Yep. Drew, have you ever like been through a rebrand? Well, I was a part of our merger with Home Advisor at Angie's List. Yeah, we were part of that. Oh, that's a that's got to be a whole, uh, especially when you're not just like starting from scratch, but you're trying to scaffold things together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, yeah, it is. It's it's the fear of the unknown hits home. And also the, should we really be doing this? Who wants it? Because I can't tell you how many times I've been around a table of, of a marketing team and someone has an idea and it gets gets going and gets momentum. And then months later, we realize that it never should have, we never should have spent any time on it to begin with. So both of those hit home with me. Now, let me ask you, Sharman, it, it's decided. The market wants it. The audience needs it. They're asking for a rebrand. In fact, let me back up. What what are some of those signals that you determine that the audience is asking for it or that it is required or it is needed to rebrand? From a marketing perspective, from a strategy perspective, it's looking at customer behavior and audience behavior. Technically, and sadly, I'm not terribly technically inclined, but are you getting the same kinds of engagement? Are people still engaging with you on your website, on your social media platforms? Are your salespeople using the content that you're writing? And is that use successful? Is it effective? Are you seeing a lag in the way your products or your services or your messaging? Is it hitting the same? Yep. Because if it's not, <laughs> then that's that's a surefire sign. That For me, that's yep. like the biggest sign. Is there a lag? Is there a negative change in how your target audience is interacting with you? Yeah. Yeah. There are, there are signals and, and you'll get those signals. And the signal isn't sitting around a table saying, what if we updated our logo? <laughs> that's not the signal. The signal comes from outside. <laughs> that's what's funny is like you guys are talking about being afraid of rebrands. I've only been in the driver's seat of one rebrand ever. And that was from Autonomy Media, my agency. And it was like, a lot of fun probably because i was doing it completely wrong like probably because like it was <laughs> none of it was for the right reasons it was just like our first logo and our visual brand and our colors and our website and all of that was just like something i crapped out 
at one point, you know, it was just like, oh, here's the logo. I'm I'm just a guy. Like, so I was just like, ooh, I'm, I have enough money. I can pay some actual brand thinkers, some designers, some really smart people. Shout out to Kodo Design in Indianapolis, Indiana, to make something that really communicates who my agency is, like who we are to the world. And it worked really, really well. And like, I don't think anybody asked for it except me. And I had the money. And that's why we did it. But it was a lot of fun. I'll tell you that. I'm glad that someone thinks rebrands are fun. I've been, as I said at the at the top of this, I've been part of several rebrands for, for a wide range of reasons. The first big girl marketing job that I had about a year in, we discovered that we were going to go through a rebrand and the executive team was like, you got this, right? And I was like, oh, <laughs> me? Huh? All, all right, then. And I was like the content marketing coordinator. So again, I'd been there for like a year and some change. I was just figuring out how to do content marketing, how to do digital marketing and SaaS. And then somebody dropped an entire rebrand project in my lap. Now, granted, I had a really great partner in studio science, shout out to my current employer, but it was still my responsibility to figure out, okay, what is all of this mean? How do we time this well so that it works? How do we get all of these ducks in a row to make sure that the customers know what's happening once we drop this this new brand, this new identity, this new messaging? How does everybody internally feel about it? Mm. How will our existing customers feel about it? So much of a rebrand is project management Mm -hmm. that it can be fun, but especially with a rebrand of that size at the time and being one of just a few people responsible for pulling it over the finish line, that was scary, bro. It was really scary and a little confusing, but I think I figured it out. Was it worth it? Did you, was it a bad enough state that you were coming out of that it was warranted? I guess is my question. I think the question, the way you're asking it may be above my pay grade, (laughs) but I think it was time for a shift like a rebrand. So one of the things that you mentioned, Ryan, is that like metonymy was your kid and you had the money, right? It was your thing and you had the money to be able to fix or evolve. Plastic surgery for the ugly child. Yes. Right. (laughs) Yes. But I mean, I mean, a lot of startups are just kind of put together with passion and duct tape and hope. And I think a lot of companies, especially in the early 2000s, when startups were really like the thing, that's how they started. So it made a lot of sense that a lot of companies that were startups would get three, four, five, six, seven years down the road and go, is this us Mm -hmm. still? And there's, I think, especially with startups or newer companies, there's the separation or at least a delineation between the brand and then the people, right? Very rarely, and it does happen, but very rarely do you see a bunch of people start a company and start with brand. They start with a product. They start with an idea. Mm -hmm. And the idea is not necessarily the brand. And a lot of times, I don't think it should be. Like your product and your brand should have somewhat separate identities. But particularly when people start a company, they don't always think, well, this is what our messaging should be. 
or this is what our brand identity should feel like. This is what our brand voice should sound like. They start with an idea. They start with the tangible thing. So you you touched on it there a little bit, the, the messaging portion of that. Talk to me a little bit about it. I mean, this, this hits home, right? You're six years in as a startup. Are we who we were? Is this us still? You're kind of rethinking the mm-hmm. branding and the messaging. Mm. How do you go about defining that new voice? A lot of it has to do with research. Research is foundational, especially to something like tone of voice. Research, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, but I hate it. I hate research. I hate doing it. It's tedious and it seems like it never ends, but it is absolutely foundational. It has to be done because that's where all of your answers are. How do your customers feel about you? How might your prospective customers feel about you? What's going on in the market right now? And a million other questions. And then using all of that data, using all of that information to start sketching something, to start sketching a voice or a message house or something that will help you connect with your target audience. Can we take a step back? You just said you hate research. And so I want to make you talk about it a little longer. (laughs) I am interested because I think this is something that to people who aren't creatives and aren't in this vein of marketing sounds nebulous. I think our listeners, especially because we're on a podcast called Page One or Bust, and we're talking about organic content. But at the end of the day, our whole thing is pillar-based marketing. And our thesis for organic content is understanding the journey that your customers are on is the most important thing. If you get that right, and we think that there's ways to quantify that, it seems like there, there wouldn't be, and it's not building a keyword list, it's doing other things, but there's a way to quantify that can help you get started. So I'm interested in what are the ways, like let's get a, mo- a little bit more specific. What are the ways you quantify a brand's relationship to its customers? Like wh- who are you researching? Who are you talking to? How? What qualifies as good input? What's bad input? Just anything you got on that, I think is going to be helpful for our listeners. Yeah. At least in my current job, it is starting from square one. It's starting with the people that you're talking to. That can be the company itself. You should actually always start with the company itself. A lot of the projects that I work on, I'm contracted to work with companies who need a new brand identity or new messaging. And it's figuring out how they're using what they have now. Right. So what do you currently have? How is that working out for you? How do you feel about it? How do your customers feel about it? How does your internal team feel about it? And then you go one step removed, right? You start with, okay, we know how the internal folks feel about it. How do your customers feel? Are they still connecting with you? Have they gone beyond the point where they they need something new for you, from you? Or are they looking for something new somewhere else? Then it's, what is the market doing? What are your competitors doing? Are they doing things that are better than what you're doing? Are they taking a different tack? Is it a matter of a different identity or tone of voice? Are they more friendly where you're more stern or vice versa? And that's customer interviews. That's taking the time to read a competitor's website from top to toe. It's taking a really long, hard look and audit of your existing content. The part that I love the least, and I'm glad I don't really have to do anymore, is looking at stats. Like, what are your website visits look like, for instance? 
How have those changed over time? And why have they changed? And that's harder to get at. But it's asking questions, then asking more questions, then sometimes repeating (laughs) the questions (laughs) that you've asked to get answers in different ways. Because sometimes also asking the same question several times means that you can get deeper or different answers. Research is tedious and I hate it, but it is absolutely foundational and necessary. Yeah. I'm just working to draw connections to the world of SEO here. And I get why that's necessary. And the same is actually true. Like you look at like SEO and the way people, they search for information and they devour information Mm -hmm. on a topic. Like cannibalization has been something that people have been so afraid of for so long. Like I can only target one concept at a time. Or if I target a concept with this article, I can't target it again somewhere else. And the fact of the matter is like people need that. They need to re-engage ideas again and again. And so that's something else that we're doing differently these days is just like not being afraid of touching the same topics again and again, because just like if you're trying to learn how to serve somebody, you want to ask them the same question several times. If you are trying to serve yourself and learn, you're likely going to want to engage the same ideas again and again before you grasp them fully and are able to respond to them. So it's fun to see that connection there and what you're talking about. Yeah. And search isn't linear. We may want to search for the same thing. We may search for a car, but the way we search for it, the three of us will be very different. And depending on where we are on our personal buyer journey, the way we search will change. The way I search for a car at the top of my funnel will change significantly different from the way I search when I'm ready to actually hand over money. Yeah, the way you search is going to change. The way people seek information is going to change, even if the information, the answers they're looking for is the same. I love that. Okay, Sharman, how do you ensure consistency in this messaging, be it tone of voice or otherwise, across different channels? Yeah, man, like like there's channels and there's stages. Like you talk to different people who want different things. That can be hard. It is. At Studio Science, we use a concept of a unifying theme. So what's the one thing you want your audience to know about you or to feel or to connect with? What's your, quote, big idea? Everything branches out from there. So for a company, the first company that comes to mind is Apple. I believe Apple's big idea is technology for everyone. It's high-end, it's expensive, but it's technology that everyone can use and that everyone wants. And all of their messaging, all of their design folks from that hub of one big idea that it is easy to use, it is simple, it is stylish, and it is helpful. That is their big idea. And if you keep your unifying theme If you keep that in the center of everything, it should be easy to do to keep messaging consistent. So what does simplicity mean on Twitter? Or what does simplicity mean Mm. for somebody who only interacts with the internet via mobile? What does simplicity mean for an enterprise company versus an SMB or a startup? And granted, simplicity will look different. It will manifest itself. It will be manifested differently for different people. But the concept of simplicity is the same. Having one idea and then 
morphing that idea for different channels, audiences, that's how it goes. Does your visual design carry out that unifying theme? If your theme, for instance, is simple, is your visual design simple? For Apple, the answer is yes. It's always been very simple. So yeah, using that unifying theme, that big idea as a guidepost for everything that you do and and sometimes if you get lost you go back is this still simple is it still useful is it still helpful and if the answer is no then you're probably using your messaging wrong i want all search marketers to listen to that because the amount of times i get pushback from people who aren't ready to develop content that answers a question that they think is too basic for their audience or doesn't align with their solution or whatever it's just it's something i think we all need to get over the idea that your theme your story your brand your message can be present even in places where you're not selling where you're just providing value to somebody like that is a core part of how i think search is going to have to differentiate from i don't know the robots that Charmin and us we've talked about before and so many other places like there's so much change coming like we have to be willing to be helpful and to have a brand that is real enough that we don't have to be like going through our pitch deck for it to be evident I think that's that's a huge takeaway yeah nobody wants to be sold to even when we are shopping nobody wants to be sold to I want to be helped I want to learn something new I want my life to be easier I want a product that can shave a few minutes off my day or that helps, that frees me up to be creative. I don't want to buy anything, not because I'm cheap, but I am, but I don't (laughs) want to be sold to. And so much of search is click on this thing, do this thing instead of asking how you can help or how you can make someone's life easier. Even if it is clicking a thing, does clicking that thing make your life easier? Does it teach you something? Well said. One more, then we're going to go to the lightning round. Awesome. Charmin, how do you measure the effectiveness of a rebrand? Is it strictly increase in revenue or increase in impressions? What is it? Yeah, that's the tricky part, particularly in the kind of work that I do, because I am almost never tasked with carrying out and measuring the effectiveness of my work. But there are opportunities for me and for other companies and organizations to measure the effectiveness of rebranding. One is engagement. Another is longevity. How are you feeling about this new change? Does it feel odd? Are your customers reacting to it internally? That's also huge. And I think that's something a lot of companies don't necessarily pay attention to. Once you've done this big rebranding thing, is the entire team on board? Does it feel like an ill-fitting pair of shoes? Or does it feel like an opportunity to do something new, if that makes any sense? Yeah. Mm. That's not technical. That's not bits and bytes and numbers. But I think how you feel about something and how you show up in the world is also an important metric. Yeah, we. uh, it's just nice to hear almost permission to say, like, you don't need to break this down into bits to measure it. Like, you can just feel it like there's there's a little bit of intuition left in marketing. You know, I think that's that's a relaxing thing for me to hear you say, Charmin. And like, I'm not saying that you should just go on vibes, but (laughs) right, (laughs) right. But at the same time, if what you've done, if the project that you've created, if the rebrand that you've conducted feels good, if it feels better than what you had before, if it feels more effective, if it feels like it gives you an opportunity to connect more deeply with your existing audience and maybe gives you an opportunity to connect 
with new people, then you've done the right thing. Love it. With that, I'll take us to our lightning round. Let's do it. Charmin, what was the last thing you searched? Keith Adia. <laughs> like, love it. <laughs> this is this is what we got to do. Buying. We, we want to peel back all the all your armor and get to the heart of who you are as a person. And I think we've accomplished that. I didn't know what it was. I saw it on Twitter. I was like, it, does somebody have a list? Like, who is Keith? And then I like went down this rabbit hole of like Keith Lee, and and now I kind of want a Keith Adia. So yeah, that was the last thing that I searched. Now Ryan and I are both searching Keith Adia. Uh, no, like I knew what it was. I, ju- I did just search it because I wanted to see what came up. But it, this is this has to do with the whole uh, fajita quesadilla thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Shout out to Chipotle. Yeah, there you go. Yes. And th- like the sour cream and the vinaigrette and like mixing it together. And yeah, I... <sighs> I am also in my spare time kind of a foodie and had seen that, I think, on Twitter, like in a food channel or something and was like, who, who is Keith and why does he have a quesadilla and why should I care? And I cared enough to type it into a search bar. I love that. Love it. I still don't know who Keith is and I don't care. <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's, it's not going to change your life. I promise. Uh, it's not that important. All right. One for one. Okay, Charmin, are there any marketing myths that you've busted during your career journey? Mm, Your audience doesn't know what they want until you tell them. And that might be a salesy kind of thing as well. But customers, people know exactly what they want. They just need you to give it to them in a way that's palatable and, and attractive. So yeah, your audience doesn't know what they want until you tell them. That's that's not true. Okay, love it. Last question. Sharman, what's your best prediction for SEO trends in 2023? And I love this, that you're not an SEO. I think I'm going to cheat and go back to our last conversation, Ryan, and say that AI is going to become a lot more involved. And I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. I think the rise of AI is going to warp SEO quite a bit. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you. We've talked about this so much. I think of AI as a tool, like a calculator. Writers have never had that. They have it now. Doesn't replace the work. Doesn't replace the theory. You still got to know what you're doing. And at the same time, you know, there are some kinds of queries that, yeah, I'm going to accept what a robot has to tell me, but not always. There's plenty and it's not going to change anytime soon. So yeah, I agree. The change is coming. I think the thing that I'm most afraid of is that people think it's farther along than it is. And we're going to have some rude awakenings. Yeah. That's where I am with it too. I think people are expecting this to be like an easy button or a magic wand. And I think that SEO as a discipline may suffer a bit before things get better. Well, Sharman, thanks so much for being an awesome guest today. This is a fantastic conversation. Before we let you go, is there anything that we should keep an eye out for around Studio Science? Just announced an investment. We are growing. This is going to be a really cool year for us. This is 25 years as Studio Science, as an agency. And I cannot wait to see what 2023, the rest of 2023 looks like for us as an organization. Congrats. That's awesome. Yeah. Congrats. That's very cool. Love it. Well, thanks, Sharman. Thank you. 
Well, that was a, a really cool conversation. It was nice to get into the creative side of things and think about things like on more of a, a feelings versus like data perspective. We think about data a lot on this show, but Drew, I'm interested in uh, what your biggest takeaway was from that that talk with Charmin. Yeah, look, as a marketing leader, I mentioned it. Rebranding is terrifying for the reasons that Sharman mentioned. The unknown, the potential waste of time and resources. And before you do a rebrand, stop and think who's asking for it. Do the research. Do the research within your company, within your customer base, outside of your customer base. Is this what people want? Are people asking for this? Is it worth it before you waste a lot of time? Well put. And ask that question for literally everything you do. I know I've said that. Like, it sounds obvious, but like I've worked with a lot of marketers who just don't. They're just like, I think it'd be fun if we did this. And then there's your campaign. I've done that. I've done that a lot in my career. And, uh, you know, nobody asked me at Metonymy Media to produce like a superheroes of writing campaign, but I did it because I thought it sounded fun. And then of course it went nowhere and it was a complete waste of time. And it's just like, yeah, the feelings are good. The data is good. It's all good. Just just ask who, who cares and not, not in a critical way. Just ask who cares. Exactly. See what your audience is asking. Well, that's it for this episode of Page One or Bust. See you next time. Peace. Are you ready to dive even deeper into pillar-based marketing? Here's your chance. The brand new book, Pillar-Based Marketing, a data-driven methodology for SEO and content that actually works by co-hosts Ryan Brock and Christopher Day is now available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook editions. Find it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or look for the link in the show notes.